BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come join our Discord. The Mixing Music Discord server is filled with tons of awesome information and people. People that can help you out and information that can help you grow your business and to help you improve your mixes. So come join us and find the invitation link at mixingmusicpodcast.com. Podcast. I'm your host DK, and today with me we have a special guest. Um, if you've been listening to the exclusive episodes, then you know who this guy is. This is James James Parrish, but he goes by James Dean. James, welcome to the show. What's up? I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you're gonna want to scoot up right oh. up on that. Like kiss that mic. Hello, James. This is a uh, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, we are live right now on Twitch and on YouTube. Um, so if you want to judge the way we look, come do so by subscribing on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Um, James is currently transitioning to be the new host of the exclusive episodes of the podcast and swapping out with Brayden. Brayden is, uh, um, well, he told me he's going to be starting school, but we'll see if he actually does that. Yeah. We don't trust him that much. <laughs> <laughs> and Brayden, um, uh, so James will be taking over the exclusive episode, and today Lou is feeling a little sick under the weather. So um, I asked James to come join me on this episode for this special edition episode with James Dean. Uh, we're going to talk about five misconceptions. So maybe something along the lines of five reasons why your mixes suck. Those those sort of titles, clickbaity titles, always do really well. I don't know why. Um, but these are more like misconceptions, things that intermediate, even advanced or especially beginner engineers, there's a lot more nuance to this stuff than people give credit. Um, and we're going to talk about five different things that may be keeping you from doing your best work. Um, and these are things that we all have to learn one way or another. I don't think, uh, these are these are hyper crazy. I think some of them are interesting and some of them might change your perspective a little bit. I think one of them specifically is going to like, uh, not piss people off, but it's going to be the exact opposite of what you've probably been learning your entire life. Um, and I'm really, really passionate about it. So we're going to talk about that, but we're going to start off really easy. Number one, first misconception of mixing is being afraid to do too much. Now I do think that people often do too much. 
Like that's a that is something that does yeah. happen. Yeah. And then there's like a level that you get to where you're like you're starting to get good, and then all of a sudden, in the intermediate phase, I feel like people start to kind of turn into being afraid to do too much. Yeah. What when do you when did you find yourself in that position, James? Like um I think I think it's easy to get into that because um we hear the phrase overprocessed a lot. Like, oh, that sounds overprocessed. Um and I didn't realize I was um in a way doing too little. Cause like it was that like pendulum. I used to do too much and then I started doing too little. Um and then like the first time I came here and sat in a mix that you did. I noticed, I think you're doing like, it was like a home recorded vocal and it was like super harsh. And I noticed that you had like a bunch, like probably five dynamic EQ, like uh, spots, like all on one vocal in one spot. And like my instinct was at first like, man, he's doing like way too much. But then like you were A-Bing it for me and I was like, oh no, that just sounds like a lot better. And so I noticed that since then I, I've, how do I put it? I've kind of relied on my ear a little more after that to be all like, okay, I this still doesn't sound okay. I'm okay to do another EQ band if it makes it sound better. That makes sense? Yeah. Also, um, while you were talking, I realized this is like the first time everybody's meeting you. I didn't properly introduce oh, you. Because I'm like, yeah. we've done a bunch of episodes together already <laughs> on the exclusive. James is a mixer, just moved out here to LA, longtime listener of the pod. Um, is a good mixer. It's a great mixer. Oh, um, uh, uh, shitty human being. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great human being. Um, and, uh, I think is, has a value, a lot of valuable insight as well. Um, currently works with us at in the mix studios. Uh, sorry. I should have said that before we started. I just kind of no, like glossed good. over it. Yeah. Everybody's like, who the fuck is James? <laughs> yeah. That's um, me. I still don't know. Like who the fuck is James? I, I don't know. But, uh, anyway, we're, um, that's, I think that's a really good point. Like, you've seen me mix, and yeah. I, well, granted, I will say that still, even now, there's many times where um, I do too much, mm-hmm. and then I have to dial it back. I don't know if you've seen me do that yet, but mm-hmm. there's, been, there's like moments from time to time where like I have a bunch of things going on. Like, for example, in an EQ, specifically an EQ, where I have like way too much going on, and then I'll have a sudden backtrack and be like, you know what, this is way too much. I think I can do all of this with a single band rather than with three mm. bands, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I don't need to boost just this shelf here or just this bell here. I can do a shelf. Yeah. Like, or whatever. Um, or do the sem- similar ideas, but with different slopes and shapes with less moves. Um, yeah. I think it could be kind of easy to, like, almost trick yourself out of not listening to your ears. Like, like I don't, I don't know if you've experienced that before, but, like, you would, like, look and, like, be like, oh, my... I don't have enough plugins on here and you almost feel like you have to do it or you might have too many. But like, I think it could be easy, like tempting to like feel like, Oh, I can't do as another move because it might ruin it. I I will be totally honest here and I'm not trying to like flex or anything like that, but like, um, I'm at a point right now and I think this is like a point that everybody should strive to be at where I'm genuinely not thinking about how many plugins I'm using or not Mm, using. Yeah. I have, I have an end goal sound in mind. Yeah. And, if it takes up 10 inserts, it takes up 10 inserts, and I don't even think about whether or not I should feel bad about it. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody because of that. I'm just saying yeah. that, like, I think what you should strive for, like, the level beyond this misconception, right? So, like, yeah. sometimes you're afraid to do too much. Sometimes you're afraid to do too little. But I think the point of this is the ideal 
and I hate to use myself as a good example here, but the mm-hmm. ideal is like if you're a good mixer and you trust your ears and you've proven to yourself for for years that you know what the heck you're doing, yeah. then I don't think how much or how little you do is even a thought that you have. It's rather just the end goal in mind. It right? sounds good, and that's kind of what matters. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but I mean, when I'm like EQing and stuff or whatever, I'm also like, I have an end goal in mind, but I'm also sometimes, oftentimes experimenting what the best way to get there is. Yeah. So like I might add points on an EQ, I might compress with a different compressor, but you've also seen me just like totally remove the plug and be like, oh, that's not working at all. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not that. Yeah, exactly. I've seen like, um, even like Jesse Aronster, like I've seen him. He he would still experiment too, so it's okay to sometimes not know exactly what it needs and experiment, but make sure you would like A, B, and see what's actually better. Yeah, and the and the form of experimenting is is different because I feel like in a beginner experimentation is more based on how can this sound better. Yeah, where yeah. like when 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 more experienced mixers are experimenting, they already know what sounds better, what they want. I want more punch. I want more thickness. Yeah. But they're just experimenting how to properly get there that's best for this source. Yeah. So the experimentation is different. Um, But I do think that... I think you do have to go through the va- the valley of overthinking before you get past the point where it's like, it's just total flow state. Yeah. No, yeah, I get that. It's a matter of like being more comfortable and confident, but it's hard to get there. I don't know about you, James, but for me, I think um, getting through the val- valley of overthinking, right? That's a good yeah. way of putting it. Um, but getting through that, I think it's just 100% practice. Like, it's oh, just yeah. the time. Yeah. Maybe, like, I mean, from proving to yourself through, like, clients approving hundreds, if not thousands of your songs over the years. Yeah. Knowing that you're the shit, getting paid enough, making, you know, make, I think that making enough money kind of reflects how you feel about yourself too. Yeah. Um, there's like a lot of different things, but I do feel like that just comes with time. Yeah. Um, and I think people are too impatient. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's easy to get frustrated. Yeah. Like it wasn't until like very, very recently that I started feeling like that. Um, when you gave me that like first bit of mix revision um, for the group that we do, and we do like a little mix feedback. Yeah, you want to talk about the, that? At, oh yeah, yeah. We do we do a mix feedback group at the studio. Um, pretty much anyone there um, will. Uh, DK will give us stems to do a practice mix every week, and we'll get together and get feedback. It's been great if you could find a way to get a group of mixers together wherever you're at. It's I, I'm super hold on, hold on. Do not start contacting me to ask me if you can join this group. I'm not doing it for y'all. Yeah, it's only for people that are basically assisting me. Yeah. In that yeah, sense. yeah. Yeah, no, this this is not open to everyone as much as we love you guys. <laughs> it's it's not that. It's <laughs> but, like James and one other person. Like that's it. <laughs> but it, it is super helpful to find a group though. Um but what helped me with that was really when you heard the the one mix I did and you're like, oh like this is really good. Like this would be a perfect mix one. For some reason just getting that like external validation from a mixer I respect um as a mixer, not as a person. Then, um, (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck are you trying to say, James? I'm kidding. I respect DK as a person too. Um, but for some reason, uh, since then, it's helped me to not really second guess as much the moves I make. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, but that also does come from like time of working and getting to the point that like the mixes are good enough for you to say that. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the same thing. I do think the validation just come over time. I think it's sad that we need it, but I mean, I mean, I'd be silly if I said that you don't need validation because even I 
started the podcast, started taking my craft a lot more seriously when Leslie Brathway validated me. Yeah. Right. So there's like a point in time where someone that I respect validated me. And that's, I think that happens to a lot of people eventually. Like mm-hmm. if you just keep working at it, like keeping your, you know, like keep working, keeping your head down, just staying focused on the craft. And then someday you're going to get a form of validation. I mean, like Braden talks about his form of validation is when he beat a mastering shootout. And yeah. like, that was the moment for him. Um, I mean, we all have egos that we need to get over. And I think that, yeah, through time, eventually there's going to be a moment where you'll be like, oh yeah, I am the shit. And I'm allowed yeah. to think that. I think there's like a level, this is unrelated, this yeah, tangent, yeah. classic tangent here. But like, I think it, I think you need a lot of humility to get better. And then yeah. there's a point where it takes a certain amount of humility to realize that you might be good. Yeah. Because there's like a point where it's like, if you're really good and you still think you're shit, there's like a secondary unspoken commentary of saying that you think that everybody else is shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, sense. okay, what about anybody else that's not as good that's working hard? Yeah. It's like, are you saying that we're even worse? Exactly. Because you yeah. think you're, you're shit, you know? So it's like, it's, it's okay and borderline healthy and practical to think that you are good. Not just for the sake of yourself, but um, for the motivation of those around you as well. Anyway. Yeah. I think the word is meekness. Do you know that word? Meekness? Define, uh, define meekness. My, my understanding of the word is, um, the best way I heard it explained is um, power, but with precision. So like a big attribute of meekness is all, um, being humble enough to know that you could grow and improve, but also um, recognizing your strengths and powers and being proud of them. Dude, I looked up what is meekness on the dish, on, in the dictionary on Google, and it says, the fact or condition of being meek. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> there you guys go. Meekness is being meek. Uh, submissive. I don't submissive. Interesting. But, okay, so that could go into, though, I guess this is more of a tangent, too. Um, part of that submissiveness is being able and understanding to be able to learn from anyone. So not only people that you see above you, but like from people who are new to uh, or people who are younger, you you are open to learning from them as well. Cool. I'm also yeah. just cool to like come up with a brand new definition of meek too. Yeah. But, uh... but yeah. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that's at least what I think about it is like it's it's not being prideful to be like I'm good at what I do. I think it's being meek of being like I'm good and I have something to offer people. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I do. Th- yeah. It takes a certain amount of meekness or humility to recognize that you're good. Yeah. Um, Accept the compliments. Okay, number two is, this is an easy one, low-hanging fruit here. Um, Compression does not equal punch. Now, I don't know why, but there's a lot of people that think or like default put on compression on drums or whatever because they want the drums to be punchier or to be thicker or something like that. There is something to be said about how density, specifically saturation, um, can create like density, uh, but that's not punch necessarily. And I do feel like um, I've seen far too often people naturally just gravitate to opening up a compression plugin or using a compressor of some kind um, almost by like default, mm. by default. And they're like um, not even listening for it. I understand that compression is difficult to listen for. But I also think that if you want to get better, you have to take the mental effort to bypass it, yeah. to, to really test around, test, experiment with it a little bit each and every time and fully confirm that you like the way it sounds. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's, um, I'm trying to think, for me, 
uh, I guess talking about punch usually means drums and stuff. I tend to default to like the rubber band compressor that Jesse Ray has. Um, I like I like that one a lot. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes I'll like really get into it and dial it in and be like, oh, this sounds so cool, so loud. But then after a being, I'll realize, oh, this kind of lost its like like thumb. And so I think I think yeah yeah it doesn't always mean that like it'll make it punchier so it's good to just make sure you test and compare and it could be something else that's causing the drums to not sound as good. Yeah, and I think it's partially like um, attack and release times obviously. So fast release times is more sustained, slow release time less sustained. So if you got a snare and there's and it's only happening every quarter note or every or sorry every like half note right every yeah uh, anyway and then um. And there's like a hi hat bleed in it. Like slow down the release, and then you'll get less hi hat. Yeah. And but you'll also get less sustain of the snare. So, um, and then if you have like a slow re- attack time, you get more of that initial transient, like 30 millisecond and above. You get more of that transient. But sometimes the punch that you want is not an increase in initial transient. Sometimes the punch is an EQ thing. Like you want more mm-hmm. lower mids. I feel like. Um, the body of a snare, the body of yeah. a guitar, like that. Sometimes it's like low mids is where punchiness is. Yeah. So it's a frequency thing. It's not necessarily an amplitude dynamic thing. Um, I think people just necessarily like kind of like default to compression. And I think de- compression is a super dope tool. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's just difficult to understand, difficult to hear. So people just put it on without thinking, and you're never going to learn how to hear compression if you just keep putting it on without thinking. Yeah, a practice that I've done that you guys could try out. Um, I think you said you don't do this. I don't remember. Um, when I was trying to better understand what different compressors were doing is to set like the output gain so that it's technically dBY's the same level before and after compression so that you're really just only hearing what the compression's doing. So I think kind of doing that has helped me to better understand, okay, this is what's actually happening other than like the, comp- the um, what's the word, the compressor plugging itself, just making it louder. Yeah. yeah. No, I do that. I do that all the time. In fact, um, very rarely do I use uh, compression for gain staging. Sometimes I do that actually. You see me do that too. Um, where like I turn up or down the volume. That's like super important. Uh, but there's a difference between like RMS versus like peak value. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about as well. But make sure that you have like, um, yeah, when you're bypassing plugins, make sure that it's similar, similar uh, volume and not to fool yourself there. So that's another thing too. It's like, it's not necessarily over compression. It's not necessarily under compression, but like, um, I think I think number two is more about using a compressor like using a square key for a circular hole yeah you know what i'm saying yeah no that makes sense so it's like sometimes it's not the right tool and i think that um people need to be open to the idea that it's not working and i think if you want to understand compression you have to be open to the idea that this isn't helping you achieve your results yeah um okay number three this is the one that i think uh may surprise some people and this is uh, top of mind because we've been talking about it for the last week. Uh, but James taught the intern lesson last week. Was it this last week? At the yeah. studio, we have, we have lessons for all the interns every Wednesday. James taught and basically did like a full-on read the manual for the FabFilter Pro Q3. Yeah. <laughs> <And> we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about what it says there, what it says there but... um. 
This is specifically about linear phase mode or linear phase EQ. Um, and we'll generalize as well, go a little macro into like anything that's CPU intensive. Um, linear's, linear phase EQ is not better, does not sound better, is actually worse, and is hurting your audio more than it is helping you in all in 99.9% yeah, of, of all scenarios. <laughs> the manual in FabFilter even yeah. says the same thing. Yeah, I was reading the manual and it even like specifically said like, um, like, uh, I don't remember word for word, but it's just to make sure you know, linear phase is not better. It's just necessary for certain aspects. So 99% of things that you have to do will sound okay in natural phase. And like pretty much 90% of things you have to do will sound perfect in zero latency mode. Yeah. So even zero latency mode is potentially in, in Pro-Q3 is better than linear phase. Okay, so a couple things with linear phase is one, this is like extreme and it's very subtle. So I'm not going to say that this is like going to be make or break, but this is just unnecessary and like an example of why it's inferior in most situations. Linear phase, you have, because EQ is a phase tool, you're shifting phase. Linear phase will try to maintain similar phase. So thus, if you have things that are especially slow, like low end, where the wave are wider um, in order to keep the same phase it's got to stretch time and stretch out the um, stretch out the sine wave okay now in order to, what happens is that if you have a really tight cue and you boost super high amounts of gain so it's like and you have in this in pro q3 if you put it on the maximum level it, it creates what's called pre-ringing Something that doesn't happen with any sort of natural phase EQ pre-ringing. Um, look up on YouTube, just type in clear examples of pre-ringing uh, and you'll hear it. It's like if you boost on a natural phase EQ, it'll be like poof, poof, like regular punchy. But if you hear pre-ringing, it'll be whoopoo, whoopoo. And it like totally destroys the transient. Um, now that is an extreme case and that doesn't happen all the time unless you do extreme tight cues with extreme boosting. But that's yeah. just something that you could totally avoid and do four times less processing on your PC if you just didn't use linear phase at all. So um, you're, you're using your computer more, unnecessary CPU processing and potential pre-reading issues. And on top of that, it's, it's, there's, no, there's very, the only pro, do you want to talk about the only pro linear EQ might have in some scenarios. So they gave an example in the manual and it's, it's, I don't even fully understand what the example was, but it's pretty much like there's two instruments and they have like a very similar frequency spectrum. And if with using the natural phase or zero latency, you make an adjustment and it creates phase issues, you would use it for that. But there it was go. like a very specific thing. So like, no, I guess it's good to know when to use it. But don't just use it because it, it's the most CPU intensive in that, like, that makes it seem like it's doing more. There's also interesting, too, because I'm going to introduce the, uh, the, the idea that phase is not up or down. Like, it's, there's degrees of phase, like 0 to 180. And so you can have, like, 73 degrees off phase, you know? So it's like, just because you flip the phase doesn't mean it's perfectly in phase. It just means that it's a little bit less out of phase. Yeah. So um, it could still be in between. So we're going to get that, just get that out of the way, that concept out of the way first. Yeah. Um, for example, full drum kit. Let's say on the way in, miraculously, you got 100% perfect correlated phase shifting. You took whoever, maybe you did the editing and you got it perfectly in phase. Mm -hmm. And like, you do not want it even a single degree out of phase anymore. Okay, you might start using linear phase EQ for a single one of those mics. Yeah. If you've done the editing and done, but here's the thing: if you if 
everything is slightly out of phase, even if you flip the face, right? Yeah. Like there's, it's infinite between zero and 180 degrees, right? So if you flip it, okay, you flip all the phase, you check all the phasing, the phase is good, maybe you've done some edit, whatever. Um, even if you use natural phase and things that go slightly out of phase, like it's probably not going to hurt it that much, or depending. Yeah. And if it does hurt it that much, you just flip the phase again on that single sig- So it's just like, it solves a problem that has rarely ever been a problem yeah. and rarely ever is a problem. Um, this is a huge misconception. Linear phase specifically for mastering. Ooh, or for yeah, like yeah. drum buses. Yeah, they, they've even said in the manual, they've advised against using it on drums because they said it will kind of suck the dynamics out of it. Boom. So that's, yeah. Okay, so uh, if you are a... TikTok audio listener, um, and you've you've been told linear phase on Fab Fab Filter Pro Q3 is the sauce. This is the secret. First off, um, <laughs> this is the secret to get Grammy vocals, and dude, then it's just like some crazy EQ. Cut. Yeah, no. First off, um, you, you quit being so susceptible to marketing. Like, please be independent. Like, ha- have your own thoughts. Okay, this is a clear example. That uh, in that moment you were a follower because you you pr- I guarantee that if you went back and forth and tested whether or not linear phase versus natural phase was better, you would have not noticed a difference. If you were actually honest, you would have been like, "Oh my gosh, there's no fucking difference." Okay, that's the first step. Number two, it's not even close to true. It's not even <laughs> a little bit true. It's not not even a little bit true. Yeah. So um, avoid it at all costs. So that is a huge misconception. I don't know where that started. I mean, this is like, like just Google is linear phase EQ better. There's mastering yeah. engineers have huge forums where they're like, no. Or like, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> it's like this really weird thing. It's like, it's just in general, avoid it. Yeah. Um, number four is... Um, the importance of the rough. I want to. Sh- I want you to share your stories about like the the feedback things, and like. Oh yeah. Because like most of the time, because first off, with the feedback group, the mix feedback group that we're doing, um, I'm not responding as DK the mixer. I'm trying to do my best to give feedback based on if I was the client. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, there are a few instances. Um, a huge thing that's I think amongst everyone in the group. Um, and the main feedback that we get is like you did this too different from the rough or something like that. That is a very common theme. Yeah. Um, and especially for things like, how to describe it? Like those random instruments that come in for just a verse or just a chorus and like you don't know how in the mix they want it. I feel like the the reference mix is a good indicator of how present they want that instrument to be. Um, but um, I think the best example of, of this that happened in our feedback group is um, – there's like one, uh, it was like a Digicore song that you had us do. And I did a mix and it was, it got like the, it was essentially came down to like, you wanted to get louder and you want to match the genre. Um, and DK even told me that as an engineer and like from his personal taste, he likes my mix a lot more, but what the customer would have wanted or what the artist would have wanted and how the genre sounds itself it would not have sounded good in that genre. It, it did not match the genre that well. And that, I, and, in that and sense, the artist's taste. And the artist's taste, yeah. And so in that sense, I strayed away from, even though um, I think a lot of people would think that it's better, it's not what fits inside the artist's taste. And the artist um, themselves probably would not have liked that as a mixed one. 
So this is interesting. This is like the idea that like um, at the end of the day, mixes are super, super subjective. And this is why communicating with a client is almost more important than the ability to mix because your ability to mix is mostly like, honestly speaking, there's a part of mixing. The craft of mixing is like, how well can you be a chameleon? Like think mm. about if Manny Mariquin who mixes for, uh, let's say, you know, Post Malone. He mixes for Post Malone. And recent, recently he did like the Kendrick album. Let's mm. say he started mixing both of those like he mixes John Mayer. Yeah, because he really, really likes the way John Mayer sounds. Like. Just super clean, and that would not really that would dark, not match. Really dark, yeah. You know, really like low volume. You know, like low, yeah. Like, you know, what I'm saying like, no, that doesn't work. Uh, a good mixer, like if the mix is good, nobody's thinking about what the mixer did. Yeah. Like even like an engineer, like if the mix is good, even an engineer who's listening to the song won't think about who mixed the song. Yeah. No, exactly. Like um, that also reminded me of like. There's this band I was mixing for, and they kind of did more folky kind of music. And um, I had a version of the vocals that I thought sounded so much better than what they wanted. And I I almost tried to, because um, I, had, I had two different versions of the vocals and stuff, and they wanted the other one. And I kept on trying to kind of put elements of the vocal that I liked more of that way of mixing it into the one that they wanted. And they kept on sending it back for revisions. And so like, it's almost like my ego and what I thought made it sound better. All that that did was make the process longer instead of just listening to them and what they wanted. It's their song at the end of the day. That's interesting. Yeah, no. And that's a big deal. And at the end, so, so here's the thing. I want to redefine that conversation. Um, at the end of the day, this is this is reality, and this is how you should be thinking about this as a mixer. I personally, as the teacher, as DK, thought that your mix was good, um, but it was in the to- it was in the wrong direction, yeah. which means it was bad. Yeah, does it make sense? So it's like that is that is like the part of mixing like mixing like a being a good mixer having a clean mix that ability to mix is only a very small portion and that ability means nothing if you're unable to be a chameleon like if you're unable to change the style of mixing what is for best for what is best for the client what is best for the genre and understanding like as a mixer it's our job to be like anal- analyzers of music and to Honestly, customer service again, like yeah. just to just to provide that service. Um, it's not it's not like a product that you just pick out beforehand. Yeah, you may have a little bit of taste, but like honestly, like your sound, the sound that you might have, is partially. This is so weird to say. I'm I'm like testing out this idea. Um, if you have a sound as a mixer, that's just a byproduct of your inability to mix. Interesting. So like like you have a sound because you're unable to conform 100%, nor yeah. should you conform 100%. But like if you were a perfectly great chameleon mixer, like Serban Gane- what is Serban Ganea's sound? <laughs> to not touch the fucking mix. That's his yeah. sound. Like he doesn't like he's got a clean thing, but like every single one of his mixes sounds so different. Like what is Manny Merrickwin's sound? Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> that's all. That's it, that's, that's all it is. It is. It's like yeah. And for me, I like for me, like my sound is typically like louder with like more aggressive drums. But that's yeah. like I feel like that sound, like which it can be can be a good thing, especially if you know what you're getting out of, is also my weakness. Yeah. I think what can make you good is you could have your sound, 
but then you have to be humble enough to be willing to let that go if it, if it's what they want. I remember um, uh, Jesse Ray Ernst were like posted this mix and he was like, oh, the perfect mix doesn't exist. Oh, wait, it's this one, like saying it was the perfect mix. And I was driving with Ashley, my wife, and I was like, oh, I want to listen to this. So I played it. She was like, what's this? I was like, oh, apparently it's like the perfect mix. And she was like, well, isn't the perfect mix just like what the artist wants? And so like Ashley's his wife, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's my wife. wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that. Like when she said that, that kind of put perspective in my head. I was like, I guess that technically is like. Yeah, I, I assume that Jesse was being sarcastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, and I bet it was an amazing mix and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it's something to like think of. Of like, in a sense, the perfect mix is just what the artist wants themselves. Of course, and, and this uh, this goes into like the reason why I'm mixing practice stems doesn't work is because you can get better at the the craft of mixing but you're mixing into a void like without a customer so this is why the value of free free work is always better than practice stems because you have someone that's putting the pressure on and is approving your project you have someone which is most of mixing like the ability to manipulate audio to do whatever you want it to do is only a part of the craft the, the the real craft of mixing is using that skill to do whatever the client wants. Yeah. So um, in in that case, like, I, I don't know. There's this, like, weird misconception that it's just like, can you make audio do what you want to do? And, like, that's the most important skill. No, it's the most important skill is actually communicating and understand what the client wants and stepping in the same direction that the artists want to step in. I will say, though, that from my personal experience – the less you charge, the more the the less experience that you have. Um, the I don't want to say lower quality, but like um, that's not that's not the right word because I there's some really high quality stuff out it, there that on like a yeah. very local level. Is it like they don't know what they want kind of thing? I that's think been like my yeah, the the less experienced people are, the more the more they're gonna push you and like. Uh, okay, I'm just going to say it like this. Yeah, yeah. The higher up you go um, with mixing, the more experience you get, the more important projects you get, the bigger clients you get, the more money that you make, they want you to do less and less. It's like the yeah. most counterintuitive thing ever. Yeah. Because if they have the budget to hire a more expensive mixer, that means they have the budget to hire um, or participate with like better songwriters, better producers who are a lot more thoughtful with their arrangement and mixing before you even get it. And so by the time you even get it, it's not even demoitis. It's that it, the fact it is, it already sounds fucking great before yeah. you, they, you even touch it as a mixer. So it's like now they just want that, that approval. Yeah. I mean, you, this is something that specific to, I think I brought up like talking about Serban Guinea, right? Who, by the way, is like the number one, he's like, kind of secretive he doesn't really go out in public or do yeah, like mix he's with not the masters or anything present like that. on social media yeah but he's like the number one mixer in the world as far as like just like data goes like um how many billboard number ones he's has and uh he um i've had the opportunity to listen to before and afters of his mix the rough mix and the mix afterwards and it's like surprising it's like it's surprising how little it was different yeah it was like i think it's slightly tighter maybe yeah that's crazy that just kind of shows he just has a very good ear to make those very minute changes. Yeah, yeah. And, and has a great understanding. Like, and honors, I like to use the word honor, um, honors the work of the producer and yeah. the work that was put in before. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something you said in our group, too. Like, you said it's like, it's almost like a compliment to them when you say, like, hey, I actually didn't have to do too much. 
like it sounded good. It's really counterintuitive because you feel like if you're getting paid so much or if you're if you have this much pressure, you have to do more. Yeah. But nah. Like the bet, yeah, the best compliment is to honor them by saying, no, this is great. And I did very little. The, actually, a specific example is I had a buddy, a producer friend of mine, Gavin, who's a stupid good producer. He's way good. He's really good. I, I love anything he sends over to me. Um, there's this one artist that he sent over a band, um, a band of dudes. And uh, the artists themselves are like, I can't hear a difference. Mm. <laughs> and Gavin's like, no, it's definitely tighter. Interesting. He's like, this is definitely better. And like, he was really happy with that. Yeah. And um, that was enough to win him over, to win the artists over. Yeah. Um, and he felt really respected. Yeah. From the conversation that we had, if I remember correctly. So it's, it's, um, I mean, that's the problem that I have with mastering engineers. Like mm. I've had way too many issues with underexperienced mastering engineers. Yeah. That don't understand that like, we do things on mixers and producers, the people before us and even up to me, like mm -hmm. the artist approved. Yeah. Like, things were done on purpose. And that's why we, I hate mastering engineers that do too much. Yeah. Cause it's like you, what are you, you're dishonoring the entire process up until this point. Yeah. I think even Andrew Shepard, he said like it happens a decent amount where he'll just get the mix and all that he does is just turn it up to the, you know, like the limit of the threshold and that's it. Like he, people trust his ears enough where he's like, oh no, that's good. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number, um, number four is, is ignoring the rough and the dangers of ignoring the rough. I think the rough is a great reference. And like, I, I do that trick all the time, what, what you were talking about earlier, like using the rough, listening to the rough to figure out what the, the role of each track was yeah. like, how loud is that shaker in the background? Yeah. Is it supposed to be a subtle thing in the background? That's just adding some noise or is it like main forefront yeah. track? Yeah. You don't know without the rough. Yeah. Yeah. The rough is good. Amen to the rough. Yeah. I mean, think about this. Like you, I mean, did you, you're a guitar player, mm -hmm. you've written music. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you're wrote a song with your wife and you asked me to mix it. And even if you're like, I don't like the way it sounds right now. Yeah. You wouldn't have sent it to me unless you got it to a point where you're like, okay with it. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't have sent it to me if you weren't at least vibing with it. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. But then I would be pissed if like, I really liked a certain guitar part in it. And like, even in the reference, I intentionally had it turned up. And then you had it like in the background and not even because you thought it filled the space better. I would have been pissed if that happened too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So um, that's something to think about. Jason Joshua, who's famous for saying, fuck your rough mix. There's a clip in Mix with the Masters on their YouTube channel of actually me asking Jason <laughs> Joshua what he meant by that. And Jason actually specifically said, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I say that, but that's basically just a marketing ploy because I actually respect the rough a lot. And that's like really <laughs> important. You have to respect the rough. Uh, hey, yeah. That's literally his answer. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much what he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say the marketing thing, but that's, uh, I'm interpreting it as that. Um, it's, it's, uh, and then I think like if you do too much, that's like the job of a producer. If you are a producer, then it is within your right to change the song completely as much or as little as you want. But if you are a purebred mixer, like you're just mixing the song, don't fucking touch it too much. Yeah. Be careful. Be very, very careful. 
Yeah. And if you do change things, communicate it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big thing. Actually, I don't know why we're bringing up Jesse so much on this episode. You've brought him up over three <laughs> times. He's a this, beast. this is uh, something that Jesse and I have talked about in the past, but like we do this thing where um, if, okay, two points to this. If I do too much or I want to take a different creative direction, I send them two mixes. I send them one that's more normal, that's more like the rough. Mm -hmm. And then I send another that's like, but here's what I like to see if they like it. So yeah. I give them two options. And then the point number two is, rarely ever does it ever help to even send the creative one the the one the one that i think is better interesting never have they ever like rarely ever have they ever accepted it it's like a big yeah. risk and on top of that like it's like it, it it's time it, in fact it's backfired for both of us it's backfired a couple really? times where it's like interesting. they i sent them a version that i thought was better which basically tells them that i don't believe in your version Oh, that makes sense. So it's just like, so they lose trust in us as a mixer. Yeah. And one more thing I just remembered too. I know we've been on this point for a while, but like, um, I remember one of the mixes I watched you do, um, the reference had that little moment where the drums cut. Remember that? Like the do, 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 do. Oh, but like yeah, in like the stands you got, it wasn't that. And it wasn't until you were checking back and forth on that specific part that you realized, oh man, like that could, probably could have been bad if you just completely missed that whole little drum chop because it's a pretty like, important beat yeah. on the song yeah that's true in that song there was like a bunch of different chops that um, was important i think with the mixing group too um like there's one song where like i kind of i didn't do this on purpose but it was a great learning point the intro in the rough was different like there oh, was like yeah. copy and pasted for something else or like tracks were muted but the inch the rough was different than the the stems and not not a single person in the group brought back a mix with the same intro as the rough yeah we that's an we instant shame. fail that was an instant fail shame from daddy d like that that shouldn't be an issue but that's an example of like not paying attention to the rough yeah like if you had noticed the rough and that was like a scenario where like if everybody had listened to the rough like um and a b back and forth enough like it would have been really easy to duplicate it like it wouldn't have been difficult or tedious it would have just been like muting yeah. something or changing something a little bit I don't remember the exact specific details, but that's like an yeah. example of not paying attention to the rough. I think it was like there were like weird song chops in the beginning that I guess they they took out. But yeah, it was something like that. Oh, so they just like deleted the intro or something like that. It was Yeah, it was something, but like it was still in the stems. But yeah, yeah. if we listened, it wouldn't have been in there. Yeah. So like that, yeah, with, with the mixing group, it's, it's all the same in the sense that um, you have to pay attention and that's like the most important thing. Respect the rough. Okay. Yeah. Number five. Um, what does it say? It's I was trying okay to read it to, just barely. I forgot. I was trying to read your handwriting. It's okay to. Oh, okay. Here, here's. This is actually a hot topic. I think this is really important. Um, this is more within the lines of like uh, music within the realm of pop. So whether it's hip hop, whether it's with country or whether it's folk, um, if you're trying to make a record that is not avant-garde, but more, um, if you're trying to make music that is widely acceptable, widely accepted to large audiences, that is not music for a specific niche or a specific thing, um, almost every single time, uh, I, I do not believe that a good mix, you have to perfect anything. In fact, like perfection is something that you do not want to seek, except for this one thing. 
that I'm gonna I'm gonna purposefully kind of exaggerate my stance on this just to prove the point. Um, vocal tuning. If vocal tuning isn't perfect every single song, it's not even fucking worth putting out. If you do not have the ear to be able to know when notes in a run or a specific small note, even if it's like a 16th note is off, hire someone to tune your vocals because it does not take an engineer. It does not take a producer. It does not even take a singer. My tone deaf Down syndrome kid can tell if you are a bad singer, okay? And it ruins the song. Imagine a guitar solo, but the strings are off and the guitar solo is actually the entire song. But like the the tuning is off. It doesn't take it doesn't take an experienced musician to know that this sounds cheap and it sounds like you didn't put in the effort. Most of the time, it's like you need to have the patience to, if you're working with the artist or the singer or the rapper even um, to do enough takes and to have a good ear to recognize when to do another one. Have a good relationship and humility where it's like you know, you're comfortable saying that wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. right? Which most of the time artists do appreciate if you're tracking. Um, or taking the time to edit afterwards and fix it in post, which is uh, Melodyne is like a really useful tool. Um, What I'm not saying is to make it sound robotic. You can perfect vocal tuning and it doesn't have to be perfectly, each note doesn't have to be perfectly centered, but it damn near needs to be close or else it's distracting. And I hear way, way too many amateur songs amateur mixes where it's fucking ruined by a singer that is just not willing to put in the time to redo it to or to edit the vocals to be in tune. Yeah. It's like the most easiest way to destroy any chance on the popularity of a song. I think that even if you are going for the natural sound, if you're practice enough in like Melodyne, you could still tune it with it sounding natural. It doesn't have to sound You could do it with auto-tune. Yeah. In fact, auto-tune doesn't work if you're a bad singer. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, I think it was literally like a few days ago, there was a mix I was, that um, I was working on, and you you told me that like um, with the artist, what will help their mixes so much is just going through and pitching, pitch correcting everything. And so I went in and did that, and it made the mix so much better. Literally, it's not even an EQ compression thing. It was literally just pitch, yeah. tuning the vocals. That's like, I'm pretty sure that's all I changed, and then I like, I like, yeah, it sounded so much better after that. So yeah, sometimes an out-of-tune vocal, even though we want to sound natural, it could take you out of the song. I swear on my life, if you leave a vocal one note out of tune just because it sounds more under the guise of more natural, you are the most amateur piece of shit I know. Like, I, I, I know that's like a really extreme and I'm generalizing and exaggerating to prove a point. The shock factor. But I want you to be <laughs> that serious about it. Like, it really ruins songs. Again, it's it's the most important, like with most songs that have singing on it, it's the loudest and most important feature. Again, it's like a guitar solo, but throughout the entire song and guitar solos don't have words that you understand that emotionally connect with people. You're not letting the song even get an opportunity to connect emotionally to the person. Um, if it's not in tune, get it in fucking tune. And it's it's literally an effort thing, and if it's a if it's a if it's um, you know if it's an ability thing like you're unable to hear it or unable to do it, it's really cheap to hire a a vocal tuning person. Yeah. I can give you someone that can vocal tune for a affordable amount. I can DM me if you need someone like that. Yeah, um, it is 
I am so sick and tired of hearing great songs, great mixes, great productions being ruined by a lazy ass vocal. Yeah. Lazy ass vocal. I feel like even if it's just the first few words that are out of tune and the rest is in, that's like you're already taken out of the song. I will. I dude. I oof. <laughs> oof. It is so lazy. It's so, and I will, and I'm using lazy on purpose because it's not, it's most of the time not an ability thing. We have the tools to fix them, whether it's previously or in post. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that ruins a song. And dude, it takes, it does, it's the difference between having a record that sounds local and cheap and having a record that's like competitive with Beyonce. It's, it's, it's a lot of the times it's just tuning. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. There was... There's an artist that I've mixed for, and he was very much like, I don't want the vocal tuned. And I kept on trying to, like, secretly do it, and he just did not want it. And at the end, like, I was like, this is a good song. I still mix it and stuff, but, like, I just remember, like, leaving that project, like, it would have sounded so much better if it was in tune. It was a good song. I will say, though, um, in the last four years, four or five years of my mixing, ever since I, like, stepped it up, you know, and uh, doing mixing at a higher level. Yeah. Not a single person has asked me to not do that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I've had other comments like, hey, can you tune this one actually? Yeah. That's, that's pretty common. Yeah. It's like, can we tune this just a little bit more? It's a little bit too natural. And that's the thing too. It's like, you can keep, again, you've already brought it up, but with Melodyne, with Autotune, um, with, with other tools, you can keep it sounding natural. Like you can yeah. tweak the settings, um, but... It's not about keeping it natural. It's about making it not distracting. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's about n- keeping it undis- not distracting. A bad mix is a distracting mix. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I cannot. Oh. I cannot get over it. I cannot get over it. The only time I've ever had someone say that, like, can you keep it more natural? I like, tune it less. Yeah. Is people that, and again, I'm like saying, being really mean just to prove a point. People that went nowhere were going nowhere and it was helping me nothing at all. None at all. Yeah, I think it's like a similar thing to like just getting mixed revisions and stuff. Like at the very beginning, people usually don't know what they want or they think they know what they want. And so you will just get like random things like that. But it does seem like the more experience and the more like higher caliber of artists you work with, it's not they, they won't request those things anymore. There's a, I will put into perspective, Ariana Grande, who is a fantastic singer. Mariah Carey, who is an amazing singer. Still both use tuning. Yeah. And if they use tuning, you better fucking use tuning. Because <laughs> you're not even close to Ariana Grande. Not even close, I guarantee it. I don't even give a shit. Does, genre, it doesn't matter. This, it's also often like with rap music is especially dangerous. Because like right now, I mean, has been for a while, but like with trap um, there's a lot of like singing rapping mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a few songs that are popular that did well, where it's like you heard the producer say that they put the autotune in the wrong key and that's what worked for the song. Um, mm. That is so uncommon and <laughs> such a exception. You, you don't do that. Don't do that. You, you, I'm not saying that you need to go to school and learn theory. But, oh my gosh, I, I'm so passionate about this because I think it ruins songs. I think it ruins songs. It's like the lowest hanging fruit. This is like the most basic thing that everybody could be doing. Yeah. It's not difficult. Um, I don't think everybody has the same ability, 
but it's not difficult to find some to do it yourself or to find someone to do it or to set your up. I, I don't I really if I've if I've if anybody's learned anything from listening to this podcast, it's that I don't like putting up barriers to make people feel more secure, insecure. Like I'm mm. not in the business of making people feel insecure. I'm here to provide tools and to provide understanding to help you feel more accomplished, more um, assertive, to feel more ready to handle what's ahead of you. Yeah. Vocal tuning and me calling you lazy is like the one exception. I, I, f- I hope you feel insecure. Like, feel so <laughs> insecure that you're going to spend three hours tuning your vocals. That is the bare minimum. Like, I, that's, this is the one thing that I hope you, if so, too many of y'all are not insecure enough about that. It, it really, it really is ugh, such a waste. Such a waste. Yeah. Such a waste. It makes a difference. It definitely does. Yeah, because, like, the songs are good. Yeah. And then I show my sister, who's, like, not in the music industry, and she's like, why are the vocals out of tune? I show my wife, she's like, why are the vocals out of tune? Yeah. Like, she can't, they can't even listen to the song. Yeah. They're like, whoa, this is, an, this is obviously an amateur. It's, like, the fastest way to find out if someone's an amateur. And I feel like even people without, like, amazing pitch, it's usually just, like, you could just tell something's off. And yeah. they can't put their finger on it, and that's a lot of times the case. Yeah. Yeah. They can't put their finger on it. They can tell something's off. Yeah. It's just like, this doesn't sound professional. And then that's usually what it is. I don't give a shit how well you dial in that drum kit. Vocals are out of tune. It sucks. Yeah. Song sucks. All right. Um, and, oh, I'm trying to think of an example where, like, it's okay to leave it out of tune. There's, like, very specific, like... Um but it's like intentional, like a thing. Like sometimes an artist will go between notes to get like a special sound. But again, that's more of an intentional. That's not like a bad. So accidentals? Yeah, accidentals. You, you, no, no. You still tune to the center of that accidental pitch. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's a, it's a very specific song. Microtonal? It like it's be. like more like Indo, Persian, Middle East, Indian. Where yeah. it's like microtones where Jacob it's more Collier. than just the 12 semitones. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, sure. Uh, we can also go into vibratos. Vibratos, sometimes if they're perfectly centered and they're equally go up and down, it can go a little, it can sound a little off. Yeah. Um, but that just takes a good ear. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of a single example. There's, there's one I remember, I like watched a video where they like, they were talking about why they did it, but I don't remember the song at all. So yeah. Yeah. That's such a rare exception. So rare. Yeah. Rarely ever. If you think, is this song the exception? I'm going to tell you right now, No. It's not. It's not the exception. If you had to think about it, it's not the exception. All right. Um, that makes sense. I think that's it for this episode. Uh, sorry, I got uh, the linear phase in the vocal tuning. It's heated. It's, it's very... It, it makes me... It's just so... I'll say it. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. All right. <laughs> that's okay. Whatever. Um Make good me. I want y'all to make good music. Yeah. I want y'all to do your best. I'm sick and tired of hearing really good songs, just like not being given the chance by the general public, and they get like 12 streams because like the first note was out of tune. Yeah. It's like what a waste. That song was so good. Yeah. It was such a good. That. The song was so good. Oh, the first note was off. <laughs> Nothing. 12 streams. 13 streams. Yeah. Two monthly listeners. Yeah, a little, yeah. Or it's like 200 monthly listeners, and then the next month is two. You know, you lose all of them because they listen to it once and realize, oh, yeah, that was shit. And then they, oh, man, so sad. What a waste. Yeah, and no, again, to emphasize, it doesn't have to be, when you pitch it, it doesn't have to be, like, a perfect, like, 
snap and then you'll like do that thing that lowers the waves or whatever but like you do still want it to be pitched I, I i will continue to use the word perfect i think it does need to be perfect but i think perfect is subjective but yeah only only jesus is perfect okay sh- shut up all right does, does dk disagree with me on the internet <laughs> all right um okay um that's it for this episode james any any Thoughts? Any other thoughts? Do you closing remarks? Closing remarks. Closing um, thoughts. I think everything that we talked about is something that people could apply and do. So I think find something that we talked about today on this list and find out a way to be better at that. Because that's I think these are pretty important things to work on. Yeah, I'm. These are huge misconceptions, and um, there's a lot of nuance to all these things. So just just be open minded. Yeah. And try things. If you think that I'm wrong, that's awesome. That means you thought about it and gave my idea a chance and you discovered that it's not working. Yeah. Um, except for vocals. You're fucking wrong if you like vocals out too. <laughs> You're just wrong. Okay. On that note, thank you so much for listening. If you are if you are interested in listening to more episodes of the Mixing Music Podcast, more technical, shorter, easier to digest episode with homework assignments given at the end of them, go check out mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive where you get access to three times the amount of episodes, two extra episodes every single week. Mm-hmm. You get to hear me extra, more. Yeah, two extra episodes every single week talking about technical tips on how to improve your mixes, masteries, productions, uh, everything, all that jazz. Yeah. So, mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive. Thank you to, again to our sponsors. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com to find out. Get discounts on Sweetwater, or yeah, Sweetwater, uh, Plugin Boutique, File Pass, Canva, um, and many other many other offerings that we have from all of our sponsors thank you to our sponsors including Loudon Audio as well um, appreciate y'all on that note happy mixing my friends and stay saucy We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show.